Well, it's so good to be with you this morning and to preach uh, from God's Word this morning. And we're continuing our series in 1 Peter, uh, a series which we've called An Inheritance of Hope. And today we are in 1 Peter 1, uh, verses 8 to 12. And uh, Libby last week, she talked about our inheritance of hope as an inheritance that can never perish, spoil or fade. And in our passage today, we see more of what that inheritance is. And it's an inheritance available to those uh, reading at the time and also to us now. And verse 9, it says that this inheritance is the salvation of our souls. And just above that in verse 8, it says one of the byproducts of that, which I want to focus on today, is that we are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy. Part of our inheritance is an inexpressible and glorious joy. What a promise. What a hope that we can be filled with that kind of joy. I love that. And I read that and I think, oh, I, I so want that. But how, how do I receive that? Or is that joy evident in my life? Would they say, Ali Elder, he's a man filled with joy? I don't know. Um, I think of C.S. Lewis, the author of the Narnia stories and theologian, talks about his conversion story. He became a Christian by what he described as a reasonable, sensible, evidence-based argument. And he said he was the most reluctant of converts. But what I love about his story is after giving his life to the Lord, uh, he's on the bus home and he has this overwhelm of emotion uh, that he feels. It's almost like there's this um, emotion bubbling up in his soul. And he thinks, what is it? And he recognizes it's the joy of the Lord. And he refers to this encounter as being surprised by joy. When I think of joy as well, I think of that old Sunday school song where we sing, I've got the joy, 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 joy down in my heart. Where I hear you ask, down in my heart, down in my heart to stay. But I don't think the joy of the Lord should just stay in our heart. But when it's inexpressible and glorious, it should come out, it should bubble out of us. I want that. I want that in my heart. I want to be a person that is overflowing and bubbling with joy. And as Christians, we can often feel surprised by joy or that joy um, shouldn't come out of us. But from this passage, we see that we should be filled with joy. What a promise. And in our connect group right now, we are talking about the fruits of the spirit. And each of us felt that real deep-rooted joy almost feels like it's like a wild goose chase or sand that just slips through your fingers. You just can't quite hold on to it. But how do we receive real joy? How is joy evident? in our lives. And more than ever, I believe that receiving the joy of the Lord is crucial to our walks as Christians and also to the lives of the people around us and to the communities we are in. As I was preparing this morning, I was reminded of Isaiah 51 that says, those the Lord has rescued will return. They will enter Zion with singing. Everlasting joy will crown their heads. Gladness and joy will overtake them and sorrow and sighing will flee away. Isn't that a word for us this morning? Sorrow and sighing flee away. Have you not just noticed over lockdown? You've just, I've just noticed I've sighed more than ever. I'm just, but when we're filled with joy, that will flee away. And we'll be able to be filled with that glorious joy. Let's read 1 Peter 1, 8 to 12. It says this. It says, though you have not seen him, you believe, you love him. And even though you do not see him now, you believe in him and are filled with an inexpressible 
and glorious joy. For you are receiving the end result of your faith, the salvation of your soul. Concerning the salvation, the prophets who spoke of the grace that was to come to you searched intently and with the greatest care, trying to find out the time and circumstances to which the Spirit of Christ in them was pointing when he predicted the sufferings of the Messiah and the glories that would follow. It was revealed to them that they were not serving themselves, but you. When they spoke of the things that have now been told told you by those who have preached the gospel to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven. Even angels long to look into these things. Our question today is how do we receive the joy that Peter writes about? And in verse 8, I believe there are three steps or actions that we can take to help receive joy. But before that, I think it's probably helpful to define what we mean when we talk about joy. And having looked at many different passages about joy and many definitions, biblically, it feels like there are a couple of themes that return again and again, which can be defined by two acts that we can do to receive joy. The act of adoration and the act of being still and knowing, being still and trusting. Rick Warren defines biblical joy like this. He says, joy is the settled assurance that God is in control of the details of my life the quiet confidence that ultimately everything is going to be all right, and the determined choice to praise God in every situation. The determined choice to adore and rejoice in God and the quiet confidence in God in his goodness. That's how we can see joy in this passage. And the first step we can do to receive joy that we can take is to practice adoration. Verse 8, it says, Though you have not seen him, you love him. The inheritance that has been talked about is hotly anticipated uh, through various generations, as Peter writes. We see in verses 10 to 12 that those who have gone before, the prophets, that generations of ancestors, and even the angels are eagerly anticipating and waiting for this inheritance. And all before are pointing to the hope of that we know now is Jesus, the Messiah, the re- his crucifixion, his death, and his resurrection. And Peter was writing this with a first-hand account of Jesus. He was with Jesus uh, through his life, and he was with him in the upper room once Jesus has come back, once he's been resurrected. And he was there when Thomas put his hands in the scars of Jesus, where the nails were. And Jesus, in that moment, says to Thomas, blessed are those who have not yet seen, and yet you have believed. And Peter in the room at the time, hears these words and repeats them to our, in our letter today. Though you have not seen him, you love him. And even though you do not see him now, you believe him. Peter knows the history of anticipation and he affirms their love and adoration for the Lord. This church, they would have heard the stories of Jesus, the miracles he performed, the truths he told, the love he showed by dying on the cross, the sacrifice he made, the glory and power of the resurrection, which meant that death wasn't the end. They would have heard the good news. They would have been set free from the power and bondage of sin, received the gift of salvation, and with that received inexpressible and glorious joy. And Peter knows that their faith has been grown and matured each day they follow Jesus. And they've been outworking their love of God 
And one way that we can do that is we can practice adoration. Adoration is the deep love and worship of God or praising him for all he's done and all he will do. The prayer of adoration is thankfulness to God. It's no agenda, no list, but simply loving God through praise and worship. It's the determined choice to adore God. It's saying, Lord, I don't know what's happening right now. I don't know all the things that I can, I can't control anything in my life, it seems at the moment, but I choose to stand today on this rock to praise you, to adore you, to thank you that you are good and that I know that I can trust you and I can believe in you. I bring all of my things to you, but I just want to say I love you and I trust you and I adore you in this moment first and foremost. That's the practice of adoration. And that's the first way we can receive the joy of the Lord. Over lockdown, one thing I've, I've missed, I'm sure many of us have missed this, is worshipping in the same room as other people. I can't, I can't think of a time where I've missed so many out-of-tune people singing more than I have now. And I'm just saying that for myself. And we've been so blessed by our worship team. They've done a phenomenal job of leading us into the presence of God through Sunday mornings, through upper room, through other opportunities just to worship. And it's given me an opportunity to reflect and recognize that the practice of adoration needs to come from within. It can't purely come from gatherings or almost um, from other people in the room, but individually from each of our hearts in thankfulness and praise to God. The church Peter was writing to were known for their love of Christ and their continued praise and their response was adoration and praise to him. And maybe for some of us in lockdown, we've maybe lost the practice of adoration, of simply giving thanks and love to God. This is maybe a moment for us to start afresh, say to God, our heavenly father, that we love him, that we adore him, and that we praise him. Um, for those of you who will know me, you'll know I am a dad of three kids. Um, we have three, three and under. Um, and we have Levi, who is three years old. He's just turned three. And we have our twins, Zeke and Izzy. And they are six months old. And in my journey of fatherhood recently, what I've been loving seeing is how each of their little characters is coming out now. Uh, Izzy, she is our smiler. Uh, she is our ray of sunshine. If you're ever feeling down, you just have a little glance at Izzy and she'll just come back at you with a beaming smile. It's so lovely to see. Uh, Zeke, he is our gazer and our sleeper. Um, so he just watches everything. He's constantly watching all what's going on, um, except when he's sleeping. And he's a good sleeper. It's nice to have one of those uh, that sleeps well through the night. Uh, we're so thankful for that. But he would win any staring contest, hands down, I bet. And Levi, he's our eldest. He is our fearless, pioneering whirlwind of a boy that has so much love and laughter and joy coming out of him. But Levi isn't the biggest hugger. He isn't the biggest shore of affection. But recently, he's been showing his more sensitive side. And one way he does that is through one of the stories that Levi and I read together, which I have here. I can recommend it as recommended reading. Uh, it's not a big read, um, but it's good. It's How to Bath Your Little Dinosaur. Uh, and um, you can read that later, maybe. Um, and it's about this dinosaur. He doesn't want a bath. Uh, and it helps children love and understand bath time. And Levi loves the last page. We kind of act it out together. Um, when the dinosaur, he's been washed, and the age-old dilemma question is posed to us, how do we get the dinosaur out of the bath? 
It's a good question to ask. Uh, so we pull out the bath plug, and Levi goes glug, glug, glug. Uh, then we clean little dinosaur, then I uh, ruffle Levi's hair uh, as if to clean him. And then the last thing it says is we give him a big hug. And in that moment, Levi spontaneously, without hesitation or encouragement, throws himself into my arms for a big, massive hug. When Levi does that, something happens in my soul. It makes my heart sing. And I want to constantly read that book with him. And the point is that when we practice adoration, that is a glimpse of how God feels. It's a massive father and child hug. He loves to be with his children, spend time with his children, and grow in intimacy with him. We receive joy through the practice of adoration. We receive joy when we be still and know as well. It says, even though you do not see him now, you believe in him. Peter is writing to the scattered church who are suffering and feeling the heat of persecution. At the time of writing, Rome was determined to rid the empire of those called the Christ ones, those that would not bow the knee to Caesar. Peter is writing to those under pressure, and he himself is under pressure as well. He's been severely beaten, jailed for his faith, threatened often, and will die for his faith. He will face the death of crucifixion. And Peter, like the scattered church he is writing to, is practicing in the trust of the Lord, of being still and knowing God is in control. We see that throughout the Bible of of people who take that moment to be still and know. In Psalm 46, where that um, passage, that scripture comes out of, be still and know that I am God. David is right now of a war zone, out of chaos, uncertainty. And in the middle of the Psalm, when nations are in uproar, kingdoms falling, God says, be still and know I am God. Peter himself has encountered the moment of being still and trusting when walking on the water in Matthew 14. Jesus is on the water and Peter steps out of the boat and he starts to walk on the water. The storm is raging around him, but when Peter has his eyes fixed on Jesus, there is the calm in the storm. There is the trust and confidence in Jesus and his goodness. It's only when Peter's gaze slips from Jesus to the storm does he start to sink. Or as I was reading this morning in Exodus 14, where the Israelites are coming out of Egypt and the Egyptians are on their tail, they're feeling under pressure, they're complaining to Moses, and Moses says these words, the Lord will fight for you. You need only be still. Are we trying to do the Lord's fight for him? when actually what we should be doing is being still and trusting that he has the battle in hand. Peter's encouragement, uh, the psalmist's encouragement is to still ourselves, to trust and to know Jesus in the midst of the storm because Jesus is the source of our joy. And when we gaze on him, when we fix our eyes on him, there we see true joy and we receive joy from him. We've all been in a storm in this year. We've just marked one year of lockdown. I can't begin to imagine what each of us has gone through in this time. And I know the challenges I faced personally. And when there's been suffering, sadness, and pain, it's been easy to busy myself or hide away. I know even for this week, some of us are facing challenges where joy might seem foreign or uh, it might seem distant. But when we still ourselves and we know that confidence, 
in joy, in God and his goodness, we can receive that joy. We must not get confused between happiness and joy. Happiness is based on what happens through the day. It's happened circumstance. It can fluctuate wildly depending on various variables and circumstance. But when we receive joy, it's a constant, deep-rooted source of hope, whatever the circumstance. Many of us have been doing the prayer course on Sunday nights, and it's been excellent. And there's this quote that's resonated with me by Samuel Rutherford, which Pete Gregg talks about. And I love how he introduces it. He says, Rutherford was a preacher, but he was at the lowest point in his ministry. He'd lost his ministry, his, he'd lost his wife, and to top it all off, he was imprisoned in Aberdeen. Um, that's re- really encouraging, isn't it? Uh, Rutherford says this, though, grace groweth best in winter. Grace groweth best in winter. I don't know what you faced or are facing, but I know that God's presence is often closest to us when we have those winter moments. The roots go down deep. They're more resilient. They're more ready for challenges. I know it's true in my life when I embrace those moments, when I be still and know, out of that comes the joy of the Lord. We receive joy when we adore, when we be still and know. And finally, we receive joy when we surrender control. Verse eight again, though you have not seen him, you love him. And even though you do not see him now, you believe in him and are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy. We receive joy when we show adoration and love, when we be still and trust, and when we're filled with the Spirit. It's only through being filled with the Holy Spirit can we truly receive that joy continually again and again. We need to allow the Spirit permission to fill us. So therefore, we need to surrender control. Adoration, be still, control. And if I wanted to be cheesy, I could say that that's the ABC of receiving joy. I mean, I won't, but just in case, Ali Elder 2021, copyright. Um, In this moment, there are so many things outside of our control. The natural response is to control what we can. I can't control what's happening in the world. I can't control uh, what I'm going through. I can't control X, Y, Z. And the temptation when we can't control externally is to control internally. I'll say, I'll let God in, but on my terms. But in order to fully experience that joy, we must allow ourselves to be filled by the Holy Spirit and surrender control. I read this quote this week by F.A. Hartley III, which when you have Roman numerals in your name, that's a good, that's a good start, isn't it? He says, the biggest hindrance to the infilling of the Spirit is not a theological issue. It's a control issue. Make no mistake about it. To be filled with the Holy Spirit is to be controlled by the Holy Spirit. And not in an out of control way, but in a sense of like, I love you, I trust you, and use me, Lord. I am yours. If you know Jill or I, you'll know that we love or would have loved before uh, lockdown going to theme parks. And the bigger, the better on these roller coasters. One uh, roller coaster that I absolutely love is called the Hulk Coaster. And um, there's so many twists and turns and ups and downs and fast moments and sharp drops in that. Um, it's, it's exhilarating. But the first time I went on it, I was like holding on for dear life. My nails probably left a mark on the harness. And the photo, you know the photo that they take halfway around? I was like super stressed. And in that moment, I had a face like this. It was like, 
There you go. That's an image for you. Jill, on the other hand, all the way around was laughing. She was lifting her hands. And in that moment, that photo, she was like a, a picture of serene joy and peace when that photo was taken. Um, when does she not look like that, I hear you ask. It's a good point. Um, but when I went on that ride, a number of times after that, each time, the photo and I looked more and more relaxed as I trusted the harnesses, as I embraced the twists and turns rather than fighting them and understood that it was for my enjoyment and pleasure. The point is when we give up control, we fully experience the joy of life through the Holy Spirit. We say, I love you, I trust you, use me, Lord. So to receive joy, maybe we need to ask ourselves some questions. Are we loving our Father God? Are we spending time in adoration with him? Are we trusting Jesus? Are we allowing ourselves to be still and know? Are we surrendering control, allowing the spirit to fill us? I believe that joy is the fruit, consequence, and outpouring of salvation. When we adore, we be still, surrender control, then we receive the joy of the Lord.